0: The Coaches Network, bringing the game together.
2: As I say now, I've been coaching near enough 30 years. And um, I, the older I've gotten, the more experiences as a coach, the more I realise how little I know. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. You're now
0: listening
3: to The Coaches Network podcast aiming to bring people at the heart of coach and player development together.
4: My name is Coach Yas,
3: a UA for A License, FA Advanced Youth Award and FA Goalkeeper B licensed Coach. With over 10 years of experience working in youth football from grassroots right through to Premier League Academies, I'm currently operating as an affiliate tutor for the FA alongside working towards a Masters in Performance Football Coaching. Today I'm going to be joined by my co-host and the Coaches Network Analysis Specialist, Coach Ben. Ben for a, a licensed coach who holds the FA Youth Award and a Masters in Sports Coaching with 10 years of experience including working across the male and female youth development pathways alongside a vast experience on individual, player and team performance analysis. And as part of our Insight Series, we'll be joined by a range of individuals working across multiple disciplines within the coaching world in order to explore their journeys and dig deeper into their experiences so that we can leave you with some golden nuggets to help you reach your full potential. Right guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and today
4: I've got a very special guest with me. Uh, I've got Jason Lee with me. Jason is a performance consultant with various organisations, um, and currently does some work with the Premier League as well. Good afternoon, Jason. How are you? Oh, mate? very
2: good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Good of you.
4: Right, like, well, thanks for being. Thanks for being available. Um, Jason, I want to kind of take it straight to the heart of the conversation and get us get the ball rolling straight away. Would you mind just you know for the listeners that maybe aren't sure of who, who you are or what you do, um, just go into a bit of detail around what your current role is and how you got into the coaching space in the first place.
2: Yeah, well, so for many people in football, they kind of often assume that I'm Jason Lee that played for Nottingham Forest in the uh, 80s and 90s, but um, I'm not that uh, that Jason Lee, although I work in a similar space to Jason. So uh, the other Jason, as it were, works for the PFA, particularly in inclusion and diversity coach development. Um, my background is sort of... Um, Coaching in wider sports, um, and nowadays I sort of help uh, develop coaches in a lot of sports, but a lot of football coaches. Um, I've been working with the Premier League now for about six years as consultant, trying to help a whole range of coaches.
4: Brilliant. Just, just in regards to that, what does that Look like on a day to day in terms of development of those coaches. Uh,
2: yeah, so we run a few development programs uh, at the moment. I'm heavily involved in a program called the BAME Player to Coach Scheme uh, in partnership with uh, EFL and the uh, PFA, trying to help place BAME BAME coaches into professional football, but also help to develop them so that um, you know they can start to you know be real be role models for the uh, the next generation of of coaches um we have an elite coaching program that I help run for the Premier League which takes coaches particularly out of Premier League academies and tries to try to just advance their coaching practice um, all with a you know basic aim trying to make sure that british coach British football coaching and British English players are just taken to a higher level
4: mm so you know, obviously, your your background isn't, um, you know, originally from a football coaching background. Uh, would you mind just going into a bit of detail around that and you know where, I
2: guess, like I said, you you started yours journey within the coaching? Yeah, world? yeah. Well, I actually was a so I played international field hockey through the eighties and nineties. Played at a couple of World Cup, a uh, couple of Olympics. Uh, but I actually was like many uh, hockey players back then. I was a failed footballer. So up until the age of sixteen, I was playing county regional football. I was on the books at Gillingham. Uh, but like so many people that didn't make it, I have a I have an excuse, and my excuse was I was a late developer. So when I was 16, I was tiny. I was still under five foot. Not that I'm that tall now. Um, and sort of there was no opportunity for me, uh, sort of as, as a 16 year old in football because I just physically couldn't compete. So um, I didn't really. I wasn't offered many chances at that point. And my mum was a, a hockey coach um, and an athletics coach, and because she had a network, she said, why don't you try and play hockey? So I hadn't really played hockey before that age. Uh, but because I knew football, because I was used to being kicked around a bit because I was smaller than anybody else, I was pretty quick uh, and committed. I actually um, did really well in hockey. And within two years of picking up hockey, I was playing for England seniors. Um, so I had a you know incredibly um, quick progress in the sport. And so then I became a hockey player and, um, and in the, in the 90s, as an international hockey player, like many Olympic sports, there was no funding support. So you had to find some way of, of playing and training full time while still paying for your bills. And um, when I graduated from sports science at Loughborough University, the, the university offered me a job that included coaching. Uh, and I think I was the first full time hockey coach in the country at the age of 22, and uh, so did that alongside playing. Um, so I had 10 years of coaching experience when I retired and that's when lottery money sort of started. So, so, so many Olympic sports, they had sort of full-time coaching jobs and I became a, a coach with England and GB hockey. And then a couple of years after that, I became the GB men's head coach uh, and went on to coach through uh, three Olympics. Um, so as I stand now, I've had sort of just sort of, I've just turned 50, but I've had 30 years, um, nearly 30 years of um, coaching experience.
4: Fantastic. And, you know, throughout those those years, you would have, you know, no doubt come across many other coaches, but also started to think about what coaching should look like for you and, you know, what, I guess, the fundamental principles are for your philosophy in that respect. What would you say those are? And obviously, you know, field hockey is sport very, uh, uh, you know, not too dissimilar to football in, in it, you know, in the way it's structured, in the way it's played, obviously, essentially... You know, by the by, the obvious uh, differences. You know, with the ball being at the foot as opposed to the end of a stick. What would you say the main things are that you were able to maybe transfer over from that to obviously now working in the football space, and how and how does that help you now in your current role in terms of supporting football coaches in particular?
2: Well, um, I, I was always obsessed with how could we make this better. Um, you know, and because I worked in uh, a university setting for ten years, I had great access to kind of what does academia tell you about. Um, sporting excellence so you know i, I i've got a, i've got a desperate need to find out more about skill acquisition and motor learning um, and i've been obsessed with that of course of course in a team sport you you're fascinated to find out how do you help individuals sort of thrive in a team so it takes you into the psychosocial world and again there was a lot of um really eminent psychologists at uh, loughborough university in my 10 years there that i Learn a lot off, you know, and that, um, so understanding skill acquisition, learning theory, and uh, how individuals and teams thrive, you know, that's pretty applicable um, to, between hockey and football. But of course, the sort of the individual and the team stuff, you know, that's applicable across business and education as well. So, um, you know, how do people do well? I was really lucky at Loughborough though, because um, my boss and one of my lecturers was um, a guy called Rod Thorpe. Who uh, And a guy called Dave Bunker, and they're particularly famous because they were the guys that wrote Teaching Games for Understanding. Um, So I had 10 years of influence from those guys, Uh, you know, and I, I think that's kind of what you've seen increasingly sort of come through a lot of team sport coaching about how to... Make sure people thrive in a decision rich environment. So, you know, I've been, I'm so grateful for the opportunities, experiences that Loughborough gave me, uh, which kind of has meant I've just, I found it quite easy to sort of bridge into other sports. But, you know, hockey to football was a relatively short term step.
4: Mm. and obviously you know talking about it being a relatively short step between hockey and football would you mind just going into a bit around the other sports that you've had you know you've had the pleasure of working in
2: uh so i spent a long time working with uh hamble british handball. um i spent a lot of time working with volleyball uh both beach and with um the sort of the indoor game um spent some time supporting coaches in rugby and cricket um i was on a performance management group for quite a few years with uh Paralympic swimming. Um and just the, the nature of Olympic sports as well, that um you get exposed and uh, and sort of mutually support almost every sport. And we used to our training base for British hockey was Bishop Abbey, which, you know, a lot of football people would understand, you know, know about that place uh because often when england in the old days were playing games at wembley they'd spend the week at uh bishop bishop there's rowings based out of there a lot of canoeists are based out of there a lot of athletes come out of there so you know we've always i've been so lucky through that experience to sort of um support and be supported by numerous different sports
4: mm. and you know just want to take you back to obviously your own coaching journey and obviously you spent about 10 years or so Uh, working in the hockey space before you retired as a player. What were some of the key things that you picked up as a coach Then that you maybe overlooked when you were just a player?
2: Well, I suppose one of the first... I actually can remember when I had this sort of insight because for a long time I was was playing and coaching and um, because I was an international player I was better than everybody else that I was coaching and uh, I'm sure many people sort of get this moment. I used to try and help people play Uh, understand what I understood Um, and I remember trying to work with this sort of I don't know 18 19 year old very talented player about how to play on the left wing which was kind of where I often played and um, I I was probably only 22 23 myself at the time but sort of the realisation that the way I see it doesn't really help unless I can help him to see it for himself you know, and so I think when coaches who are players that go through that transition understand, it's it's not necessarily about what how you see the world; it's how you can help them see it. Um, you know, I can remember where I was on the pitch. It was a it was a Monday night about seven o'clock. It was just starting to rain because it's Loughborough, because uh, it rains there a lot. You know, and the sort of the it sort of stopped me in my stride because I suddenly realised it wasn't about how much I could talk about it; it was how much I could help that guy uh, understand. Um, and I still think that's if people ask me, you know, what do I think is most important for coaches to understand it's about them, not about you and uh, kind of all, all that that uh, entails, really.
4: Definitely. Just, you know, just going through that, then obviously that's a interesting way to look at it because a lot of coaches certainly, you know, in the early stage of their career may, might think it's about what they know and how to impart their knowledge onto the player without really taking a step back and identifying one, what information might this player actually require based on where they're right in their stage of development. And two, something like what you've touched on there in that it's all well and good me being able to give them knowledge or try and impart my knowledge, but if they don't see it from the same perspective, or at least you don't, uh, I guess take action towards perspective and they're probably never going to see it anyway. So what would you say some of the key things are for you in your experiences that have helped you
2: um Develop that perspective for the athlete. Yeah, but well, part of my background when I was a player, I, I was which people laugh at now because I'm a bit sort of weak clean nowadays. But I was considered to be a bit rebellious, and uh, the coaches used to. I actually got dropped from a few international tournaments because I was too challenging to kind of how we were playing. Uh, but I do reflect on actually at that at the time that was considered as an, a weakness in me. But I actually think it was it was a, a poorly played strength. Um, and what I mean by that is, like you know, like it, it, I, I needed help to kind of be able to see it, um, you know, in other people's perspectives, as other people needed to see it. It's sort of in my perspective for a better outcome for for all of us. Um, and I do wonder, in, in my time, you know, both particularly as a player, um, did the coaches sort of just miss some ex, you know, players that could be excellent because it was always discussed from there, the coach's viewpoint of you know training or games or tactical analysis or technique uh, as opposed to you know working with the people the person in front of you and uh, the older i get i don't know if you get this yes but the more i realize how different people are from each other um, you know and actually the you know the real skill is to help them within a bandwidth of what's acceptable performance of course but you know help them sort of understand what's the best outcome best way of doing things for themselves which I think as soon as you start to think about that, you shut up a bit more. Um, you start wanting to ask questions or, or help them ask questions of what they're doing so that they can sort of find out their own their own solutions, you know. And as I've kept on coaching it, the other thing that's amazed me is that just because people see it, you know, a player, an athlete might see it one way this year, things happen to them and then they suddenly see it a different way. So it's not like you you'd ever finish that job of trying to help them Kind of be curious about how it's working for them. Um, the, the strange thing about hockey is that hockey keeps changing its rules, which is kind of a. Sorry. So the way we were able to play one year didn't match the year after that. So we were kind of forced into always being curious about how to make things better. So I mean, as an example, when I started playing hockey, there was an offside line on the halfway line, same as football. Um, after about three years, three or four years, they moved the offside line to um, the sort of the three quarters position of course that changed the space and how you could play and then towards the end of my time they removed offside completely and uh the impact on how you could play was you know massive um not always for the better in my opinion but and you know like so football has, re- has been relatively consistent you know we've seen more rule changes maybe in the last few years and but I actually think it was a good skill set to you know to always sort of figure out how we could do this differently and better as opposed to just repeat what had happened uh, the year before, um, you know, and I've seen a lot of that in football now, you know, good coaches now are really interested in not re- repeating what's happened in past years, even if it were, but actually trying to recreate something for the future, for the players, for the teams that, that will be different and better. Um, and I think that's a good route.
4: Definitely, you know, obviously you touched on there, you know, the rules have almost forced you, or the constant rule changes have forced you to become more curious about what was happening within the sport. It, in you know, in, in environments where that might not be the case, you know, what, what would you say to those coaches who are trying to almost challenge the players to become more curious about how they play in the game?
2: And yeah, more yeah.
4: conscious about those. Players?
2: I think you know, I think the, as a lot of coaching education is sort of going towards now that the first point of call is as a coach, how do I, what do I think? Um, you know, so actually being curious yourself in the first in the first instance. Um, you know because some sports have not changed for literally decades and and some of the sports i have helped you, you see the coach is basically just falling into the habit of repeating what they've done before um and i've seen really great benefits for coaches when they actually have to go and coach say a different gender for example or a different age group um because like like a light bulb they suddenly realize as i said earlier that my god people are different um and just being alert to that difference, and actually in the in football coaching, I've seen some really great coaches come in. I think the diversity thing is really important here, you know, because they come kind of with a different viewpoint, you know, or different experiences. So they they they're more look they're more curious about what it is as opposed to um, confident or just about about repeating what they've done before. So yeah, so in helping players to be curious, I think the first point of call is to make sure that the coaches are curious and not too reliant on um, what they've done before, even if it was successful.
4: Definitely. And I think, you know, just within that, then, you know, you're talking about coaches becoming more curious. And I think, do you think there's, you know, there's maybe steps, that coach, that, you know, well, I guess it's kind of a, a chicken and egg situation almost. You know, how do you become more curious if you're not already asking the questions? if that makes sense? But for those coaches that are maybe struggling with their curiosity, what would you say is a, a good place for them to start on that?
2: Um, well, I, it, I do think everybody can be curious. I think um, actually one of the things we know about the, the human species and you know, our brains, our brains want to make life easy. Um, And this is why the problem, you know, we end up having sort of rules of thumb or heuristics, they call it, which some people call biases. Uh, And it's basically our brains just trying to sort of make life easier so that we can cope with all the stuff that's flying at us. Um, And so we know Mm. that to sort of break that natural habit of our brains is that we have to actively choose to be curious know, actively choose to ask questions, you know, so. Uh, that's why reflective practice has become one of the fundamental parts of developing as a coach, you know, like how did that, after sessions, how did that go, what did I do, what worked, what didn't work, Uh, and making that a sort of really conscious and active process. And uh, as I say, a a lot of coaches come with that um, sort of instinct anyway, but I I think it's a good practice for all of us and and should be conscious, you know, a conscious effort to make sure that we do it, because I don't know about you, but like I'm coaching three nights a week at the moment, Saturday, Sunday, and I certainly get to the point where I've been here, done that and I'm tired. So I just do what I've done before, um, which normally works. Okay. But yeah. you have to be really mindful of taking time to still, you know, question myself and what worked, you know, question, look to the player group, you know, see how, how are they not assume how they are? Um, you know, ask questions of them. You know, How did that land? What could we do differently? Um, yeah, so that, I mean that's my strong advice. But if you, you can almost, you can't go on a coaching course nowadays without actually really being encouraged to, you know, ask those kind of questions.
4: Definitely, no. want to take you back to obviously your coaching journey and you know, some of your observations over your years in various different sports? Now, what would you say are some of the biggest bugbears for you when it comes to coaching? And have you seen any consistencies um, or major differences when it comes to those sorts of things across the different sports?
2: Yeah, I would say that I kind of talked about it already. One of my bugbears is when people go, "I, you know, I know the players. Um, I know the athletes. And I think that's, I don't know about you, but I'm 50 now. I don't really know myself. So the premise that somebody else could know me, um, kind of, I do, I sort of laugh at the fact that my wife and I, we've been together for 25 years, um, you know, and she wakes up in the morning and I have no idea what mood she's going to be in um so so for a coach of any sport you know to kind of assume they know the people they're working with I I think that's a real misdirection but but what we can do is we can keep looking and keep asking the questions you know actually how are the people showing up today how am I showing up today why why you know what kind of mood am I in for example and um you know I think as I say I think the older you get the 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 more you realize that you know people are different and they can be strange and they can change. And uh, if, we, if we're really going to sort of help them develop, you know, it's to be aware of that, because um, there's a bit of research that I came across about 10 years ago that kind of describes, uh, you know, that about how we might balance the amount of motivational feedback versus developmental feedback. Um, and I think when you really investigate that, you realise that sometimes you can be different with somebody because they've had a good day at work, i.e., they've had lots of motivation so you can be a bit more challenging but it, when you look to people and they've had a bad day I, i.e they've been really challenged stroke developed or asked to develop all day you probably need to be a bit motivational um you know and i you would see seen this when you work with kids when it's wet and rainy and it's december um you know, like, it's it's a tough time to push people to improve. You want to just make sure that you motivate them enough so that they want to come back in the spring when the sun's out, you know, and there's an opportunity to push them on in terms of development, you know, and, and you only really know that because you're looking and you're interested to how they're turning up and how you're turning up, of course. Um, yeah, so that's that's a little bug by that. A bug bear in mind that people can proclaim to know people. Um, I think we can try to. And we should always be interested to, um, but to actually th- say that we do know them, I-, I actually think that tends to lead us down a- down the wrong path.
4: Definitely. And you obviously kind of build up the biggest challenges you face in your own journey, because obviously, as you put it, you know, really, truly knowing the player is you know, obviously an incredible, incredible thing to be able to do if, if at all possible. Um in terms of that, then obviously that will, you know, in itself will present many challenges for you if you, you know, if you really never get to the heart of who that player is and what they actually need in that respect. What do you say some of the biggest challenges are when, it, you know, within your journey then in that respect? Well,
2: I, I personally think if you start to embrace the fact that we want to help understand them and show that we want to understand them, and we're, we're, but actually we probably can't truthfully, then actually we want to help them understand themselves so that they're, you know, they're more attuned to actually how they are. And it immediately starts, sort of. I think it redirects your coaching to how can I help them help themselves, um, as opposed to how can I, you know, how can I help them? You know, a subtle difference. How can I help them help themselves? Um, so I think the skill set often of coaching becomes less about what do I know, um, and and how much information can I know, although that is really important. And it and it flips to actually how can I help them. Um, learn how can I help them understand um you know and then that's for 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 many coaches like you you kind of your reward is because you feel like you can show people you know stuff um and actually to help other people sometimes you you your greatest strength you have to put in your back pocket and keep quiet because actually you want you know you want them to be able to demonstrate their knowledge and um some a very very wise old coach said to me um i was sort of on this subject you know like he said jason if you do a really good job they won't be thanking you for it as in the players won't be thanking because they'll they'll think they've done it themselves um and then, and he says so then what you've got to do is make sure that you've got your own own reward system um you know it feels nice when the players athletes say thanks but I, I don't necessarily think that has to be the measure of whether you've done a good job it's actually you know do they feel like they've been the best of themselves and did you facilitate that and I think that's an interesting and an interesting challenge for coaches you know and in in coaching and mentoring sort of in the general world not in sports world one of the mantras is is that as soon as you enter as a coach or a mentor you should actually be trying to develop the person or help them develop so that they don't need you anymore you know the the aim is that you're not you don't need to be present so they don't need you so uh you know that's obviously a challenge particularly in sort of you know football how do you prove if you're good because you could be a great coach but they don't win the game and so where's your where's your source of your source of reward um you know and uh, yeah I just think that's an interesting challenge you know for for coaches
4: definitely and I think you know one one thing I've always said is you know the ultimate thing is to, as a coach is to try and make yourself redundant in, in many ways and get to a point where almost the coach the players yeah. feel that, yeah exactly yeah, yeah so around.
1: everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger McNuggets or Mc Crispy Sandwich but you're the Filet-O-Fish Sandwich all day that crispy fish that savoury tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time
0: and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
1: Ba-da-ba-ba. You, cut, you become
2: right. sort of a trusted friend as opposed to a kind of a parent or an authority for sure. And um, yeah, for some people, you know, like their ego sort of um, becomes a challenge to that, Like for like for all of us. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. It's not. It's nice to be thanked, and uh, and it's hard to identify when actually you've done a good job, uh, but they don't choose to thank you. <laughs> yeah.
4: Definitely. Yeah. So just kind of coming back to your own journey, then. You know, I was wondering where. Yeah. You know, throughout the years of your coaching, whether you've had any major influences, possibly in the form of a mentor, or if you've had any particular experiences where you felt that you know you've really taken away something major for your development yeah well as I say I was really influenced I didn't
2: recognize it at the time but I was really influenced by uh uh, Rod Thorpe the sort of the author of teaching games for understanding um so to Rob was a coach in many sports um Mm. and over and as I've got older sort of reflected back it's like oh yeah that's what that's what what Rod told me about um but in recent in recent years, to be honest, uh, I've been in, I've been working in football. There are so many great people in football. Um, you know, I feel like I've been influenced positively by so many people. Uh, even this morning with a a coach from cricket, I was talking about uh, how Ian Mitchell, um, who works for the FA, is the head of psychology. I think now he's a pro license coach. Used to work in uh, Swansea Academy. You know, how he kind of made me realise that sort of certain resi- like psychological characteristics that you want to develop in players, actually, you can see it in how they play football. It's not a separate thing. Um, you know, so we're actually we can describe like, resi- like personal resilience as in how often, you know, how tight do they mark till they close down the, the, the wingers when they're about to cross? You know, like um, I, I found that really powerful to understand the behaviours uh, that psychological characteristics tend to sort of reveal. Um, as I say, there's a huge list of people like that that I've met, particularly in the last sort of seven, eight years working in football, because uh, there are some so many great people working in the game in this country.
4: You know, just you know, talking to that ends. You know, you you now working in football, you know, doing a lot of work within football. I want to talk. Can maybe delve in a bit around your work with the Premier League and, you know, obviously some of the stuff that you do. There, you talk there about the BAME. Um, player to coach scheme. Um, would you mind just shedding a bit more information around some of the other initiatives and things that you've worked on within the time? Yeah,
2: period? so the the Premier League um, have tried to sort of influence uh, sort of football people's development in ways that um, traditionally wasn't really the developed area. So. Some people would say that the Premier League's focusing on sort of the on more holistic things, but I think the Premier League is just trying to add to the things that traditionally the FA, for example, have developed. So we've niched a lot into sort of personal leadership, um, how you how you work with other people, uh, you know, try to develop, um, do some work to improve diverse, uh, diversity, diversity, inclusion. In the system, um, try to create a better connection between football coaches and multidisciplinary teams, you know, like, so the how does a football coach work really effectively with uh, sports scientists, strength and conditioning coaches, you know, psychology, um, medical department, for example, stuff like that. So we've tried to add to the knowledge uh, and skill set of, uh, of coaches uh, in the professional game, um, you know, because the, there's you know, using the wider sort of sources of support in football is a is a great opportunity. To be honest, it's one of the ways that um, Team GB got to, to the top of the medal rankings. sort of, you know, leveraging the support services that other countries weren't doing quite so well. Um, unfortunately, we're seeing around the world that the rest of the world sort of realised they're caught up, you know. So um, Team Ineos or Team Sky, as it was, you know, that all the things that they were sort of groundbreaking, uh, the other teams, the other countries have caught up in cycling. But, uh, you know, we still know that there is opportunity in football to sort of uh, create better links between those services and coaching and then the development of players for sure. And I say so a lot of the Premier League programs trying to sort of help with that um, for sure and partner with the FA and the PFA to sort of support the development of the more traditional areas of, you know, tactical. Development
4: technique, development session design, coaching behaviours. Mm. I just want to kind of obviously take, you know, touch on your 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 involvement in the in the BAME initiatives now. You know, in what are your thoughts on on what the landscape of you know the I guess the number of ethnic coaches there are in the current you know England in particular. What are your thoughts on that? And do you feel that we we we've, we're progressing in any ways? And.
2: I think- if. Yeah, well, it's in the motive area, isn't it? Yes, you know, um, it's certainly, and, and it's a complicated area too. And um, I mean, I of to think, because I've got a science background, I like to delve into the stats as well. And I think if you actually look into the stats, the representation of, you know, different um, uh, groups as players, as coaches, um, and as a sort of uh, officials, leadership in clubs, what you do see is there's a disp- you know like there's a disparity, but actually you see a trend that they're all starting to, um, in terms of diversity, they're all starting to improve the diversity. Um, so I, I think if we just left things alone, things would naturally improve. If imp- you know, improving is that the um, the football is more football's more inclusive and diverse, um, but you know we want to do it. We want to get there quicker. Um, you know we want to accelerate that natural rate of change. Because, uh, be frank, it's too slow, probably. Uh, and, and also, we know there's it's sort of a dirty word to say, but there there is uh, um, institu- some institutional racism that's probably always going to be a barrier unless we start to really do some stuff to to break down those barriers. And one of the things we do know um, uh, to a, to a large degree for for. Um, an ethnic minority football coach if he doesn't he or she doesn't see somebody like themselves in the professional game I'm not sure it's achievable Um, and we want to start putting you know different ethnic minority coaches male and female into the professional game so that they can be role models to show that that pathway is available and also to work with the system so that the system starts to you know reduce some of the the barriers to entry to these these groups, and one of the main ones, uh, probably more in football in this country than almost any industry, is that the uh, typically clubs recruit people that they know and trust, which is which is fine, but it does tend to mean that they're typically people that look like them. Um, and we have a great opportunity to improve the performance and you know the sort of the community of football if we improve the diversity, but you know. There's lots of lots of little things that are holding it back at the moment, but like my observation is, there's lots of signs that it's improving, but there's a long way to go yet. Yeah.
4: Definitely, you obviously touched on there about the, I guess, the recruitment of most of these roles and tends to be people that they know and it ends up being people that they end up then looking like too. What would you say is some of the things that could be done at this stage? Obviously, none of the Premier League got their initiatives and the EFL coming up with some of their initiatives along with the FA. What would you say are some of the things that we that could be done? To maybe support the, I guess these changes sooner rather than later, because at the end of the day, there's you, know, you can't really control if someone has been brought in on you know as part of the as part of an initiative and at the end of an initiative that they you know, almost disposed of in some ways. Also, and also with the you know the code that the EFL brought in regarding essentially the Rooney rule and how that's been played out, there's many clubs that are probably. Have opted in, but actually, the way it's been run is also those clubs are still maybe just bringing certain, uh, you know, BAME coaches as part of that interview process just to kind of tick a box. You know, what what kind of things could you you think could be done to maybe manage that and I guess uh, control that process yeah. a bit more closely. Well, there
2: are, there are lots of little opportunities to to nudge things to, to get better. Um, I think the expectation should be it's it, it's that's a big thing to move, and um, but that we should be desperately trying to move things. I think the first point of call, which um, sometimes doesn't get um, reacted to particularly well, but getting becoming a full-time football coach in the professional game is really tough. Um, you know, and so every single cat person who has an aspiration to become a full-time football coach in the professional game has to realise how tough that is. Uh, and that's a big onus on you to really be a great, great candidate. Uh, there was a Premier League. Category One Academy that recently advertised for a, a, a job in the academy um, and the open open uh, um, open recruitment process. It's a great club. They got three hundred and fifty applicants, and I knew lead phase coaches in Category One Premier League academies with their A license and ten years' experience weren't getting interviews. Um, now because there was there was stronger candidates above them, I find that. If I was a coach, I'd find that, uh, you know, that's a big bar that you're going to have to get close to. So then, you know, OK, so one of the problems is it's tough to get the qualifications at the moment. Um, you know, getting it onto your A licence or B licence is tough, tough, tough. Um, and I think the FA are doing a good job to try and open up, um, provide easier access to some of those qualifications for um, BAME uh, coaches. Um, Because, you know, nowadays with the regulations, if you haven't got these qualifications, the chances of getting a job is really, really slim. And I think still talking about the candidates is like, okay, well, you're going to have to get yourself some experience, get yourself in volunteering with the clubs, get in through part time through the development centres so that the clubs start to know you, judge your quality and trust you but then you know there's equal responsibility on the system on the clubs you know um, I think the clubs are increasingly starting to advertise jobs if you follow any job sites the last four years it's just starting to be packed with jobs in football but five six years ago you wouldn't see these jobs advertised um, and the recruitment practices were you know often done done quick and and, and pointing people that they know so we want to try and influence that for sure um we do know just making measurements on actually what's the the breakdown of your staff you know starts to reveal great things that you know need to change um, yes so many things i mean the advice i give to a lot of Coaches, I'm supporting. Um, BAME coaches at the moment is when they ask. It's like you know, you start to get yourself known in the network. And as I say, the Premier League, EFL, the PFA, the FA, uh, and the LMA. All these agents are starting to try and help help uh, everybody create a network so that they get you know they can start to see the opportunities, as well as establishing you know what kind of standard do you have to get to to be competitive for for these jobs. So. I see a lot of the stakeholders really working hard to try and improve this space. But as I said, there's, uh, there's a lot of work to do.
4: You know, just on that, you see, you know, you talk about, you know, essentially building that network and uh, getting yourself in a position where, essentially, you can tick all the boxes necessary to get into that role. But, you know, i to take you back a few minutes. You touched on how difficult it can be to get on some of these qualifications. And obviously, in recent years, we've seen uh, organisations like the FA Put, you know, put initiatives in place for maybe, uh, you know, the BAME community and the female community coaches as well in terms of maybe allocating X number of places uh, for those sorts of candidates on whether that be the B licence or the A licence. But in some, in some cases, you know, that's also, that's also not been met very well with, um I guess, co- coaches who maybe don't fall into those communities. What would, you, you know, what would your message be to those coaches there? And, you know, that might, might be, Experiencing some frustration because of some of these initiatives that are are in place.
2: Do you mean sort of other groups that don't get the opportunity or the? Yeah,
4: yeah, exactly. You know, a lot of you know, uh, it's recently with some of the FA initiatives and even some people referring to even the Premier League initiatives as you know, an element of being there positive uh, yeah. racism in some ways. Yeah. Is positive,
2: well, I mean, if you look into the research in this area across the world, you know, like any diversity and inclusion. Um, intervention uh, there's two sides to the argument one is as soon as you start to identify and and give a name to a discriminated group you actually increase the discrimination uh, by identifying them Um, and we've certainly seen that that some of these programs around the world has had unforeseen and unfortunate consequences to the group that the people are trying to help Um, you know and we're all aware that there's an increasing um, number of people that said please do not call me BME or BAME I want to be you know I'm you know I'm me I'm unique um, you know we, so we do know that just just identifying groups is a problem uh, and because other people then you know turn against them it's and unfortunately whether we like it or not one of our basic human um, drivers is to kind of feel safe with people around us and decide who's against us. So we fighting against uh, basic human um, nature here. So, you know, it's most of the academic research advice is that, you know, you, you need to do some positive action, but be very, very cautious about the unforeseen negative consequences of of, uh, of the action is exactly what you what you alluded to. Yes. And you know, I think what we've seen is a solution is that you start to make sure that people get to know each other first through the network so that they see each other as, you know, Jason and Yasser rather than Bamey coach, white, bald coach, you know, and um, so, so when pe- we know this, when people start to get to know each other, they start to create rapport, trust, and then they judge each other on different, um, different characteristics, whether you're a good coach or, or less good coach rather than your ethnicity. So. Yeah, so uh, if you if you get that what I'm sort of describing about that conflict between trying to make a a change, but actually that change itself comes with some negative consequences. Uh, It's 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 why it's not been solved yet. It's well, one of the reasons why it's not been solved yet.
4: You know, kind of just kind of to build on that, then you obviously you you don't want to, I guess, class everyone as one. But you know, if you had if you had to go back, you know, you know, give us a you know, almost a golden nugget for some of our listeners to kind of take on board and apply for themselves within their own journeys. You know, you don't like to think of it as being two separate things. But if you was a, a you know just a coach generally, what advice would you give that coach? And you know, would, he be, would there be any adaptations or development beyond that advice if if the coach was coming from an underrepresented group and um, you know looking to
2: if that makes sense. Yeah, well, to be honest, it's so individual. Um, I, I worked with some disadvantaged kids in the East End of London um, around the London Olympics because I wanted to make sure if we didn't win a medal, which we didn't, we came fourth, that we actually could be pr- proud of what we did in that Olympic cycle, you know, a home Olympics. And uh, we worked with about 60 kids from a disadvantaged background that with a charity that was trying to support these kids. Um, and we got them to play hockey, you know, there was no hockey in Newham Tower Hamlets and uh, Hackney at the time. Uh, And we were playing on tarmac and stuff, you know, and they sort of saw hockey as a, you know, which it is unfortunately at the moment, sort of posh upper upper class sport. Um, But, you know, fundamentally a lot, and a lot of those kids are are coaches in sports, a, a range of sports now, quite a few have gone to university quite a, bizarrely a lot of them are still playing hockey Um, but the the thing was that somebody was giving them an opportunity uh, and I think that's one of the things that we want the system to start to provide is is more opportunity in these sort of the areas where people aren't getting it but still the kids that did progress you know went on to university out of these kids be working with they had a lot of fire in their belly themselves um, you know, they weren't waiting for us to provide something for us. Uh, they, they fought for it and went and did something themselves, you know. And one of my proudest moments with some of these kids is when they went off and did um, like they became tennis coaches because they saw an opportunity because there was a, the Lee Valley Tennis and Hockey Centre that got built just over the A12. If people know that, a few of them realised that if they got themselves qualified as tennis coaches, there was all these tennis courts that they could, you know, there was an opportunity to start getting some work. And, um, you know, so it was, it was partly people providing the opportunity. We want to do that for the system for sure. But, you know, like start finding out what, you know, being driven yourself, creating your networks, getting as qualified as experienced as you can. And, you know, uh, it's kind it's, it's the route through it, you know, so it's, Everybody. They're yours as an individual and the system's responsibility, but in equal measure. I just want
4: to take you back to your story. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, you know, I just want to take you back to your own journey a little bit now. You know, getting into coaching still at a relatively young age and obviously still playing at the time. You know, knowing what you do know now about the coaching world and some of the, you know, across not just the hockey um, domain, but across the across sports in general. What would be one message that you'd want to give yourself?
2: Um, uh, to start that journey. Yeah. So like, um, back on the information that you know. I would tell myself would not get get like too cocky about it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not a cocky person, but I did after about five six years of coaching full time, I, I thought I was getting pretty close to knowing knowing what this job was all about and how to do it. Um, as I say now, I've been coaching near enough 30 years, and um, I, the older I've got and the more experienced as a coach, the more I realise how little I know. Um, and, and, you know, part of the cost of that is I go, I mean, I'm coaching three nights a week now and Saturdays, Sundays, and I actually have a little bit more angst coaching than I used to because I, I can see all the, the potential problems, um, you know, and I've tried things before that have worked and then suddenly they didn't work. Um you know but i would be telling myself you know keep you know you've got to keep learning here jason what you th- what you think you know today might not work tomorrow and um, as a young coach i couldn't even imagine that being the situation um you know it's, it's a long tumultuous journey to you know to coach to keep helping uh, and particularly in this country because the paid opportunities are, are rare uh, you know you know and people lose their jobs so often in sports coaching and professional environment you know you have to you have to be resilient to keep going and uh um i would say that to my to myself really i generally got quite lucky um i was in the right place at the right time when opportunities came up um but that wasn't of my own design um so yeah that they're the kind of things i'll be saying to myself definitely
4: you know, just as we start to wind down now, and I was just, you know, probably working as a performance consultant, you know, across different organisations, what would you say is next for you in your journey? Um.
2: Well, I've always, you know, I, I think a lot of people that have come from sort of working in elite sport have got this. Like, I just, you know, it took me a long time to realise realize this, but I'm obsessed with doing a good job. Um. So I've become, you know, like at the moment I'm working in, sort of inclusion and diversity and I'm, I'm obsessed with really trying to help that and it's difficult. Um, uh, I really I'm coaching a lot now. I'm obsessed with trying to help the teams and the players that we're working with. Um, I work in sort of business environments I'm, I'm obsessed with and I work in policing a bit at the moment as well and I'm obsessed with helping the, the people. Um, so I suppose it's just you know keep going doing what I'm doing, keep trying to help. him keep trying to do it better, really. I, I haven't got a sort of a North Star in terms of I want to be a Premier League manager or anything like that. Um, just want to keep on doing you know, better and better job and keep learning, and keep trying to help.
4: Definitely. You know, just obviously you talk about having 30 years of coaching experience already as well. You know, you, as you start to, you know, move towards, I guess, the back end of your career and hopefully you have another 30 years still in you. Um, not sure how happy your missus yeah. will be about that, but 30 years old, Um, what would you say you know when it comes to the end of that career what would you want your legacy to be for the people you've worked with well that's a,
2: that's a great question really and because um, I do think about stuff like that and um, Stephen Covey who wrote the the habits of highly effective people if you've ever come across that does talk about um, act with the end in mind you know and uh, there's a lot of stories about how people suddenly get a real epiphany just as they're about to die you know a bit late there son um so i do kind of contemplate what i'd like like people to sort of say about me as a as a you know i waddle off to to somewhere else um and i quite simply though i just want to make sure i'd I'd like people to think that they thought i was genuine and generally try to help um you know and doing it to help other people and not not for myself you know uh um and and you know, and that's one of the challenges of work of coaching in a team environment, because unfortunately we can only put eleven on the pitch, not twelve, you know. So there's always those challenges of how do I help people when I can't put them in a the team. Um, you know, so it's been an ongoing, it's gonna be an ongoing challenge. Probably why I feel so, you know, I have so much angst sometimes now coaching, because I've seen seen, you know, how sort of impactful those kind of decisions can have on players. So yeah, as I look back, people go. My nickname's Lee Boy. Um, I've had that for a long time, and I go Lee Boy. Lee Boy genuinely try to help us, you know, and he's a good man. And just to
4: kind of uh, wrap up now, Jason, I want to thank you again for your time. And then also, if if the listeners did have any questions they wanted to kind of follow up with, um, both regarding the information that you you know you've shared with us in this in, in this conversation, and even maybe questions beyond, is there any of it? Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, uh, I'm not that active on social media, but I do have a, um, a Twitter. Um, link Jace8lee, jase8lee j-a-s-e-8 double you can dm through that that's no problem
4: well there you have it guys another edition of the coaches network insight series where we sit down with experienced individuals across the multiple disciplines within the coaching world hoping to explore their journeys and key insights in order to package away some golden nuggets that you can apply to help you reach your full potential i've no doubt that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have but i just want to say thanks again for tuning in the support is much appreciated please do get in touch with us and today's guests let us know where you're listening from to share your thoughts views and key takeaways from today's show along with any suggestions you may have for guests or future topics on the show that you'd like to hear discussed ultimately guys the show is about yourselves the content is for you and we just want to continue to create that great content on that note Get in touch with us on Instagram at The Coaches Network and on Twitter at The Coaches Net. And if you want to touch base with Coach Ben, he's available on Instagram and Twitter at focusbxn. Lastly, guys, keep an eye on our socials for the latest updates and announcements for upcoming guests and discussion topics with the panel. And until next time, guys, take care.
0: The Coaches Network, bringing the game together.